and welcome to the 10th episode of This Won't Teach You Anything. It's been a few weeks since I've uh, put out uh, episode 9, and the reason for that is I had a big work project that was going on and took me out of state for a while. Without going into a whole ton of detail, it was a project that uh, the company I worked for contracted for the Virginia Air and Space uh, Museum, and it was really cool. I uh, got to see a lot of uh, things that I probably would have never seen before. Got to see the uh, Apollo 12 command module uh, up close and personal. The um, They call it the LEMS, the Lunar Excursion Module Simulator. This was a simulator that uh, astronauts uh, trained on to actually land on the moon. So that was really cool seeing the history. And when astronauts trained on it, they got their name on the on the piece itself up on the, uh, the cockpit door. And so I was able to see that, uh, Neil Armstrong's, uh, name up there, uh, Jim Lovell, uh, you know, just a number of the astronauts that you've heard of over the years, if you've, uh, looked into that kind of thing. So it was a, uh, a really good trip, uh, spent some great time with, uh, coworkers for about 10 days and, uh, we got a lot done up there and it turned out to be a real successful project. Before we go into the rest of the show, I wanted to go ahead and and speak about something that I talked about on one of the other episodes, which was the um, uh, what could the future of movie going look like? And just this week, it came out that uh, arguably the biggest movie uh, to do this so far, uh, the off-delayed uh, Wonder Woman 84, it was just announced that on Christmas it will have simultaneous release in theaters, uh, Christmas 2020, and on HBO Max. Now, uh, Disney, I talked about before, did this with Mulan, except it was um, on the Disney Plus. It was released on Disney Plus uh, for a, uh, you had to have the service, and then it was a $30 charge uh, to go ahead and and, uh, watch Mulan, and, and you would get access to it while you owned your Disney Plus account. Again, we talked... Uh, Family Four, not a bad deal. Even though the approach is similar, what Warner Brothers decided to do is not charge extra for the film on HBO Max. So, basically, if you have an HBO Max subscription, you're going to get the brand new Wonder Woman day one, the same day it hits theaters on Christmas 2020. In my opinion, this is going to be uh, a big enough film to decide if this is a feasible thing to do. I'm going to imagine HBO Max subscriptions jump immensely uh, to go ahead and see that as the country's still deeply divided on what's safe to do, what's not, uh, you know, what are things going to go ahead and look at, look like all, uh, around Christmas time. You know, I have a feeling that uh, there's going to be, if the option's available to watch it on home at home, more people are going to go ahead and want to do that. You know, I'm going to say that the film, obviously, uh, you know, these, these big budget superhero movies are made to be seen on the big screen, but I can't fault anybody who wants to go ahead and if they can catch it at home, catch it at home, especially with money's tight. Um, You know, that's, there's no better deal than that for what HBO max charges to go ahead and get a brand new release, a major release like wonder woman 84. Enough of all that. Let's go ahead and get into the meat of the show right now. 
Today we're going to be talking about Ready Player One. And this is going to be something a little different than I've done with other films I've talked about. I'm going to spend more time focusing actually on the book. Uh, this is one of those times where I'm that guy that says the book is better than the film. Now, for me, um, I was introduced to the book through some uh, co-workers. And it actually, uh, I do a lot of audiobook listening to and from work. Um, just a, a, a good way to go ahead and listen to uh, and, and catch up on a book. You know, if you haven't done it, it's uh, audiobooks are a really great way to go. The Harry Potter series is fantastic. Um, if you haven't listened to it or haven't got around to reading it and want to can't find the time to read, if you're in your car and, and can safely pay attention to the road, audiobooks are a great thing. Ready Player One was a novel released in 2011 by Ernest Klein. And one of the things that really drew me to this story when, when I started listening to it was the fact, uh, uh, the amount of nostalgia that it brought me from the story and the setup. And then I looked at uh, Ernest Klein's background, and he and I are about the same age. It's the same kind of thing that brought me into Stranger Things uh, in a, in the way that it did with the nostalgia factor. In Stranger Things, I would have been the same age that those kids are portraying in that time frame. So a lot of the things that they did, a lot of the games they played, were things that I remember doing with my friends. So nostalgia is really big for me. In Ready Player One, it's kind of a dystopian uh, future with... Uh, you know, the ultra rich are rich and you have everyone else. Everyone else doesn't even really live in cities. A lot of people live in these things called stacks, which are basically trailer parks, but built upwards. So if you had a trailer park with 50 trailers, those trailers were now stacked five high. So you had five times as many trailers in that trailer park. They were dangerous and they were dirty. Um, you know, you'd read in there about a meth lab exploding and bringing down an entire stack. So not really a safe place. Now, the main character of the story, Wade Watts, is a high school kid. And he lives in one of these stacks with his aunt, another family, and her boyfriend. He really can't stand uh, his aunt and his boy, her boyfriend. Uh, his parents died when he was younger. And so he spends his time going to school. Although school in this future is held online in a place called the Oasis. Now the Oasis is the brainchild of a kind of a Steve Jobs, Elon Musk kind of inventor uh, named James Halliday. Now James Halliday uh, started the Oasis and the Oasis is um you use a visor to go ahead and, and log into it with uh, what's called haptic gloves that give feedback through them as if you, if you grab something, you kind of feel it in those gloves or if something hits your hand, you'd feel it in those gloves. Um, there's different levels. If you have more money, you can get things like an immersion rig, which makes it feel like the things that are, you're seeing in the Oasis when you put on this virtual reality visor are really there. You know, if somebody were to punch you in the arm, you'd feel it in your arm with your immersion suit. So Wade not having a lot of, of money and whatnot, all the, all kids are issued 
an Oasis console if they don't have one. So that's how he um, logs into the Oasis. That's how he goes to school. Now, the Oasis, like real life, there's things you can do for free and there's things you can do for money. And since Wade doesn't really have money, he's relegated to the planet in the Oasis uh, of his school. And he can't really go what would be considered off-world. He has to stay in that zone that he's in. In the Oasis, uh, he's known as his avatar's name, which is Parzival. His best friend is known as H. They've never met, only in the Oasis. Um, they spend a lot of time together. H does have money because he's a legend in like online gaming and uh, makes his money that way. Uh, he's offered to go ahead and take care of things for Parzival, get him things, but Parzival is very independent and won't, won't hear of taking money from his best friend, even if he were to pay it back. It's not something he'd do. One of the reasons and the main reason for the book is the fact that they're both engaged in this contest. The contest is to find what's called an Easter egg. An Easter egg is is a, a figure of speech for something that's hidden in a game or a movie or something like that 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 you would accidentally find uh, or wouldn't really notice if you weren't looking for it. So uh, Halliday's Easter egg is a series of quests that the winner gets full control of Halliday's fortune, which is considerable. I mean, we're talking... Um, you know, billions upon billions of dollars and ultimate control of the Oasis. So it's a big thing. Everybody and their brother in the world is trying to win this contest, including this corporation called Innovative Online Solutions. Edit. This corporation called Innovative Online Industries, or IOI, led by Nolan Sorrento. And he's the main antagonist in the story. We also meet along the way the mysterious Artemis, who is uh, kind of well-known amongst the Oasis uh, egg hunters, and it's shortened for shortened down to Gunter. So the people that hunt for Halliday's Easter egg are called Gunters. And the corporation that basically has an army of players... Uh, none of them have any real names in the Oasis world. They're all uh, just a number and starting with six. So they're called Sixers. The Gunters call them Suxors. So uh, it really sets up a big, big, long search for uh, Halliday's Easter egg in control of the Oasis. I'm not going to go in to a huge breakdown of the book and the story other than that introduction. And it's because there are so many things that I just enjoyed hearing and discovering for myself as I read through the story, not really, um, I'm fine. I was finding myself not really being able to wait for what was next. It's kind of one of those things. Now this book isn't going to be for everybody. If you didn't like things like, Star Wars or Dungeons and Dragons and, and things of like that. Some of this is going to go right over your head. It's still a cool story, but all the things sprinkled without 
are you're going to be rewarded if you have heard of or or even played those games or seen these movies uh and whatnot i don't I, again i don't want to throw too many out there because it's it's just an absolute blast to go ahead and and listen and take this journey with the characters uh going to the film that was released in 2018 and was directed by um a guy by the name of Steven Spielberg maybe you've heard of him uh the screenplay was co-written by Ernest Klein and Zach Penn now the interesting thing is i've often described the book as being uh a complete journey from a to z the film is the same way but the way you get from a to z just feels a lot different in the film than it does in the book uh some of that can't be helped you'll as you'll learn if you do take the time to listen or read the book it would be a complete licensing nightmare to try and pull off a movie that stayed true to the book. There are so many um, things that would need to fall into place to get licenses for different things. I'm talking, like I mentioned, Star Wars would need to get licensed. Uh, Dungeons and Dragons. Uh, they, they talk about Firefly. Uh, other things that I really want to mention more than that, but uh, I, I don't want to take away. So the movie, again, when you get into licensing and things like that, are relegated to what they can get a hold of and what the budget of the film is. So you see a lot of a lot of things that that weren't in the movie, but still have the feel of the movie. The movie was huge on '80s nostalgia. Um the movie is huge on nostalgia, but you see a lot more current type things. If you've ever heard of the game overwatch, some of the avatars that you see are characters from that video game. Uh, in the film, you'll, there's a, uh, a portion where you see the Chucky doll. So, um, again, how you get from the beginning to the end is different in the book than it is in the film being the, um, and I think it has to do a lot with the licensing and what it would cost to try and do that. Now, another thing is the book isn't huge, but to do it really right, if you could get the licensing or write it in a way that you could kind of shift things around to not need as much of the licensing, it would really take three films to do it right. Uh, I feel with just the amount of, detail of things that happen throughout uh, to, to really get it right. And I say that because in the book, the quests that you go on in the book that take you to the end to that, the Easter egg are so much more detailed and they're not a, um, Oh, I found this. And so now I have, I just find a clue and I go to the next one. It's not like that. There are clues involved, but you have to do things to be able to get these clues. And so they're like quests within quests. So it's not just a scavenger hunt per se. It's kind of a really in-depth scavenger hunt. It takes a lot of knowledge, what some people would consider useless knowledge, to get to the next uh, portion of the contest. 
in the film, I don't, I don't really think this is any kind of a spoiler because you see it in the trailers. One of the contests and the movie almost opens up with it is a really extravagant car race, you know, to get to the end, which people have been running this race. You would think, and I can't remember the exact amount of times the race had been run, but there's hundreds of cars involved and people keep dying at the same kind of area. Nobody's been able to get by it to get the clue to the next part of the contest. That's all well and good. And it makes for a great flashy imagery uh, up on the big screen, but it's really basic. And like I said, to get into the, the depth and the, the nuance of the, of the contest would take a lot longer than a two hour film. So I just feel like the the film is really all flash, less story, um, but a great popcorn flick. It just if if I could only watch one or only experience one, I would go ahead and go with the book, specifically the audio book. Uh, for me, audio books really need to draw you in with the person reading them, and in this case. I can think of no better choice than the one they have. And uh, the narrator or the reader of the book is Will Wheaton. And in uh, nerd circles, Will Wheaton's a legend. He was on Star Trek The Next Generation. He's been in numerous things, but he's just got credit. And it's um, a little Easter egg uh, about Will Wheaton is actually in the book. So that's kind of fun to go ahead and, and hear that little nod in the book. So there you have it. My recommendation is to check out Ready Player One, either the movie or the book. I prefer the book. If you were going to do both, watch the film first and then the book, because the book for me um, was so, so much better. And when I saw the film, although I saw some really cool things in it, it was a bit of a letdown to the story. But if you're only going to do one or don't want anything spoiled at all, then just stick with the book. This portion of the show is called Sound You Can Feel. And today we're featuring a Beatles song and not just any Beatles song. And if you're any kind of a fan of the Beatles at all, and somebody asks you, what's your favorite Beatles song? That's a tough question. There's so many great ones. For me, I can definitively answer that my favorite Beatles song is Let It Be. Let It Be was released March 6, 1970. It's on the album of the same name, Let It Be. It was written and performed by Paul McCartney, but uh, as many Beatles songs do, it maintains the credit to the Lennon-McCartney writing partnership. I had heard this song first when I was around 13, 14 years old, at least the first time I remember hearing it. And it was just one of those songs that was very easy to listen to and very catchy but not in a pop type of a way had a good hook and as i listen to it these days it's got a good message and it's just kind of a soothing relaxing 
type of song, especially from the first chords of the piano, uh, which is surprising given, given all the turmoil that the band was in at the time of the recording. So uh, without getting too much into Beatles history, the album had a, a series of producers. George Martin was famously known as the producer of Beatles albums. Um, what some people don't know is even though the album Let It Be was the last Beatles album released, it wasn't the last Beatles album recorded. That falls to Abbey Road. Another story for another time. George Martin uh, originally produced a lot of the tracks uh, for Let It Be, but kind of for various reasons, it was backburned. And then the sound engineer by the name of Glenn Johns uh, took up the mantle. And eventually uh, the Beatles didn't like the mixes. And, and Phil Spector, who John Lennon had worked with before, was on a solo project, came on board and introduced his uh, way of producing, which was uh, something called the wall of sound and would be the basically overdubbing of parts of instruments on top of each other so that it sounded like one type of thing. So for instance, orchestral parts of a song um, would be mixed on top of each other or guitar parts or different types of pianos, maybe uh, a regular piano and an electric piano playing the same parts over the top so that you couldn't really tell the difference. It all sounded like one instrument real big and heavy. Um, that was a mix that the Beatles went with for the album. Uh, the single though, that was uh, released for the song, let it be was actually George Martin's version. Uh, if you've ever heard this song, you might've noticed a couple different guitar solos near the end of the song. George Martin's was a more subdued, uh, version of George Harrison's guitar. The more aggressive guitar solo is Phil Spector's version of George's guitar solo. Now, I said that the Phil Spector version is the one the Beatles liked most. Paul McCartney has famously said he hated that wall of sound uh, method of production. And later on, in 2003, Paul McCartney's version was... Uh, of the album was released. It was called let it be naked. And it was more of a toned down, uh, almost crystal clear version of the album. And it, it even has a different version of let it be on it with just very subtle differences than the single or the Phil Spector wall of sound. And, and as of right now, that version again, let it be naked. Uh, the album, the version of let it be on there is my absolute favorite. It's so clean and on a good sound system, it's just astonishing, especially for a song that simple. Let It Be is one of those songs that I will stop what I'm doing to listen to whenever I hear it. Um, sometimes it's a song I specifically put on in the car, and if you're unlucky enough to be in the car with me, you're going to be treated as a, a very pathetic, raggedy version of me singing along with uh, Paul McCartney and uh, the Beatles. Uh, I, I bring that up because I don't think I can tell a real uh, story about how the song came to be. But in the show notes, I'm going to put a link 
to uh, a version of Carpool Karaoke. And if you've never seen Carpool Karaoke, it's with a late night talk show host, James Corden, will take a ride in a car with an artist and they'll discuss their songs and career as they're singing their songs and driving around. There's many different ones I really enjoy. Um, the Bruno Mars version is very good. Lady Gaga is excellent. Um, Madonna, a very good one. The Celine Dion one is hilarious. That's for you, Jake. Um, but the best of them all is the Paul McCartney one. It's about 23 minutes long. And at the five minute, 14 minute mark, Paul talks about let it be. I'd recommend the entire 23 minutes of it. It's so well done. It's funny. And some just legendary stories that, that Paul McCartney shares. I've mentioned before that Paul McCartney is one of the few times at a concert where I've just been starstruck. I've seen him uh, play twice. Uh, the last time I was there with my entire immediate family, my wife and my two daughters. So that was kind of a special thing for me and, and, and for my family to be able to go ahead and, and uh, bear witness to uh, the, the musical history that was up on stage and, and, and that performed that night. And that's just a little reason why I can definitively say that Let It Be is my favorite Beatles song of all time. Okay, so that brings us to a couple of ends. First, the end of episode 10 of This Won't Teach You Anything, and also the end of the first season. Now, don't worry, all three of you who listen religiously, hopefully there's more of you, but I'll take what I can get. December 18th will be the start of season two of This Won't Teach You Anything. Again, I really, really appreciate every single one of you that tune in and listen. As always, you can follow the show on Twitter at This Won't Teach, Instagram, this underscore, won't underscore, teach underscore, you underscore anything. You can email at this won't teach at gmail.com or Facebook at this won't teach. Thanks again for all your support and thanks for listening to This Won't Teach You Anything. <laughs>